0: Welcome to the Living Out Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Steele. Now, I help people let go of what's holding them back to live out the best of who they are using their unique gifts to make the world a better place. The topics on the podcast range from personal growth to social justice and LGBTQ issues, and sometimes all three come together at once. And today it's going to be a combination of all three. I'm going to have so much fun with this one because it's entirely topical. So what's in the news of late just over the last few days? It's uh, the time of this recording is the 10th of December 2018. And there's been a big brouhaha on the internet. I think it started on HuffPost and People magazine that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the classic holiday cartoon from 1964, is Seriously problematic. What the fuck, people? I am going to open up some minds and some hearts to my absolute favorite queer tale Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, who inspired me to believe that I could be myself, realizing as a young boy that I was different. And so was Rudolph. And while it may have been a challenging time to grow up, and I was born in 1965, a year after this cartoon came out, Rudolph gave me hope. And when people say problematic these days, it's because they don't have anything to actually work with. I know, that's a very extreme stance going on one side of the equation. Because we're not talking about violence in the extreme. We're not talking about racism in the extreme. But if we're going to call Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer problematic and that it shouldn't air on television, then every single fucking Hollywood movie that's black and white from before the 50s would be taken off the air and all of the original film would be burned for being racist and sexist. Okay, that's my rant to open up this because I can't believe how people get on this tangent that is so ridiculous, but I'm going to bring it down a notch. So on December 19th, 2017, I wrote a very fun queer interpretation called Why Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Was My First Queer Hero. And I'm going to go through that step by step to help you see why this is such an important cartoon from the time, from 1964. This cartoon was representative of the morals of the time. And I believe there was a much deeper story at work that the people writing it were cognizant of the fact that this this was a message of acceptance, but that message of acceptance and understanding the other was still unfortunately framed within the morals and the societal structure of the time. So to be able to push Out against those walls of the status quo is a very different kind of tension than it would be today in 2018, 54 years later. So, what happened in this cartoon in 1964 is not how we would lead ourselves today. It's simply different. And we have to look at it as such. And we have to, I believe, look at it for what it tells us about the society at the time, and what we can make of ourselves when we feel othered. So we all know that famous Reindeer song. You know, Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. Prancer and Vixen? Those have got to be two of the gayest names ever, right? This song opens right up with kind of fucking with gender identity right off the top. As a little boy, I absolutely adored this cartoon, and I try and watch it every single year. That's quite a testament for something, that for almost 50 years, I've been watching this cartoon nearly every single year. Now, when I worked on this post that I published on my publication, Think Queerly, last year, I went through the video minute. By minute, but it was worth going through it, and I learned so much more that I realized I had picked up on at a very early age, but I hadn't quite brought into my con- uh, sort of my consciousness of understanding what it all meant. Looking back, Rudolph was my first queer role model, and. Boy, was he fierce. He was young, he was innocent, he was playful, and he just wanted to make friends. He was actually really sociable for a relatively shy, appearingly introverted buck. But the other young bucks, well, they called them names, and they kicked them out of their games. Man, that felt like when I was in elementary school and high school gym class, they always didn't want to pick me for their team, you know? But Rudolph showed strength of character at a really young age. He was unafraid to venture into the unknown and make friends with all the other outcasts and the misfits who were just like him. So he found solace in connecting with the other others. The film opens. We meet the newly born young Rudolph and his father, Donner, decides that after he meets with Santa that Rudolph will never make the team because he's got a shiny nose. He's got something that others him. And he covers up that nose with mud and says to Rudolph, you'll be a normal little buck just like everyone else. Oh, there we go. We've got to just stick to the status quo. We can't be like anyone else. Poor Rudolph, and he looks down at his mud covered nose, crossed eyed, trying to see that center line down the line of his, the bridge of his nose. And his father reassures him, Now, now, you'll get used to it. But poor Rudolph, he's a non conformist. And throughout this tale, we have the narrator, Sam the Snowman, and he tells us that in that first year of Rudolph's life, his family did a pretty good job of hiding Rudolph's, uh, nonconformity. And the question is, what does the, uh, mean? Because Sam could have simply said his shiny nose, but are we referring to something else? You see, this is a queer tale for 1964. It's one that questions the heteronormativity of the time. It is what is not said that is so important about this cartoon. Now, Sam the Snowman expresses linguistic and spoken discomfort. He uses a pause when trying to decide what to say in order to find the most polite and inoffensive way to say that Rudolph is not like the other boys. Now, we also get to meet the abominable snow monster of North, but what does that represent? Well, it could be anger, a queer rage, a suppression of the self so extreme That the abominable hates everything about Christmas and wages destruction in his path. It sounds like he needs to just come out to me. And then we meet the most adorable of them all, the so-called misfit Hermie, the elf who doesn't want to be an elf. He just wants to be he doesn't want to be like everybody else. He wants to be a dentist. And when you see the cartoon, he's got this glorious wave of blonde hair. And if anyone is gay in this cartoon, it has to be Hermy. And as we see more of him, his manner is decidedly precious, far more feminine than any other of the male characters. Then it brings up the question of an oral fixation. He wants to be a dentist and get inside people's mouths. Hmm. So in Santa's workshop, the elf supervisor criticizes Hermie. Because Hermie is slow and behind in his work. And the supervisor asks why. And Hermie's answer is, is beyond comprehensible for the supervisor. He says he doesn't like to make toys. And the news travels down the work table to all of the other elves and they declare in unison, oh, shame on you. And when the supervisor asks them what he would rather do and Hermes says, I'd rather be a dentist, the supervisor just loses it and says, now listen, you, you're an elf and elves make toys. Now get to work. So Hermie is forced to work during his break when everybody else gets to take time off under the threat of termination. You see, the moral in this instance is that if you don't fit into the box like everyone else, that you'll suffer the consequences of being different. Well, hello, 1994 or 2018, the same fucking shit happens, right? It's just a different time and a different story. So if you keep it in the closet, no one will know. Rudolph's father is meanwhile determined to keep his son's nose a secret with a cover. This sort of muddy, plasticky thing that is able to hide the redness. Rudolph is upset, and he should be. He doesn't like the nose condom, and it's uncomfortable. But his father puts his hoof down and says to him, There are more important things than comfort, self-respect. Santa can't object to you now. And that's a very masculine manhood thing, isn't it? If you've listened to the last couple of episodes, I talk a lot about masculine and feminine roles and identity and a problem that a lot of men have who struggle with their masculinity and struggle with what would possibly be called sort of the toxic or the shadow side of masculinity is they just can't get in touch with any of their feelings and they've got to suck it up. They can't express any sort of discomfort because that's feminine. So Rudolph takes off, leaves the family cave, and he's all alone singing a heartbreaking song of queer adolescence. Why am I such a misfit? I'm not just a nitwit. Just because my nose glows, why don't I fit in? Oh boy. Every time I hear that, I almost get shivers, because I know what it felt like not being able to fit in as many of us did it breaks my heart he wants to fit in without having to hide any part of his true identity and even his parents who brought him into this world want to repress him well really it's just his father but his mother is being a good little woman because this is 1964 and she really has no say in the matter So we move into the next scene when it's mating season and it's April and the young bucks are about to meet the does for the very first time. And Rudolph's father, in his very heteronormative way, tells him to get out there and don't worry about your nose in a very manly tone. Remember, you're my little buck. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. I'm sure that's what Rudolph was thinking. I'm sure you mean well, but you've covered my nose with this fucking nose rubber, and you make me sound like a little doofus when I talk. But things are looking up for Rudolph because he's greeted by Fireball, who invites him to be his best buddy. And I love this. Fireball? Fireballs? Who came up with these pseudo-suggestive names for this cartoon? But the best and most likely of double entendres you'll ever hear in a 1964 children's cartoon comes up next. Rudolph asks where they're going, and Fireball says, To the reindeer games! Make antlers grow! Besides, it's a great way to show off in front of the does! But back in Santa's workshop, our beloved elf who wants to be a dentist, Hermie, is working on fixing a doll's teeth and has missed performing in a musical number that disappointed Santa. I mean, seriously, Hermie, you missed the musical number? He responds to his supervisor's frustration by saying, I just thought I found a way to fit in, but that's not what his boss wants to hear, and shouts, you'll never fit in. And poor Hermie chooses to be himself, and with his boss gone, he sneaks out of the workshop, escaping through the window, exclaiming, I guess I'm on my own now. And then we go back to Rudolph, who's mingling. And while the young bucks are learning how to take off and leap into the air and fly, Rudolph meets one of the other does. And after small talk, Clarice says to him, Is there something wrong with your nose? I mean, you talk kind of funny. And the first thought I have is, funny how? Like, not very masculine? A little, dare I say it, you sound queer? Well, Rudolph replies, What's so funny about the way I talk? Don't get angry. I don't mind, says Clarice. And then I think, it reminds me of when I first came out, went out to gay bars, and I had a female friend who became my fag hag. Hmm, is that what Clarice is going to be for Rudolph in a couple of years? But the sweetest thing happens that could ever happen in a young boy's life. The opposite sex says, I think you're cute. And Rudolph gallops away in glee, and he takes off, and he masters air flight. He lands directly in front of Coach Comet, who gives him a resounding magnificent, and Rudolph's first positive praise comes from a male for the first time in about the 20 minutes or 30 minutes of this cartoon. So Rudolph takes off into the air again, and Santa is even blown away with this future sleigh-pulling prowess. Hey, you're okay, says Fireball, his now best friend, but the laughter and the excitement are short-lived. As always seems to be the case. The other gets a moment of acceptance and then something happens. Because the little nose guard falls off of Rudolph's nose during some play. And it just starts blaring this glaring red and Fireball freaks out, squinting against the glare. It's hurting his eyes. Get away! Get away from me! It's a queer panic. Now the coach and the other bucks scamper over to see what the fuss is about. And one after another, they shoot their insults. Fire snout, rainbow puss, red schnoz. And what's left for Rudolph to do but, you know, sheepishly say, stop calling me names. And then finally the insults that later become the thing that define his greatness. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. When I was in grade one or two, I remember being made fun of because I was proud of my German heritage, and the kids called me the Red Baron. And I don't know why or where that came from and whether we were being taught that in history, but somehow that was my way of being othered in grade one or grade two. It was called Darren the Red Baron. I don't know what the fuck that was about. But here is the point of contention that some of these people online are getting so upset about that this is the bullying here. Well, yes, this is the bullying here. But this is also why we need to keep seeing a cartoon like this to understand what's happening and how this bullying is overcome and why this kind of bullying is also wrong, but that there are still good parts to this story. So let's get back into it. Now, Santa, of course, he's probably one of the most heteronormative of them, all, of them all in this entire piece. You know, he's so close-minded and says to Rudolf's father, father that he should be ashamed of himself. His father should be ashamed of himself for having a son that has this glowing red nose as if Rudolph's father's sperm had anything to do with the outcome of his son, Rudolph. Poor Donner. He hangs his head in shame. The commotion is over, and Coach Comet, with his fragile masculinity, demeans and humiliates Rudolph by kicking him off the team in front of his teammates. You know what? The same fucking shit happened to me when I was a little boy. But we all need someone to believe in us, and this is one of the important transitions in this cartoon, because now we have sort of the act two of the hero's journey. The journey, the search, the search for truth, the thing that's going to bring out Rudolph's greatness and fearlessness and fierceness. So Rudolph takes off and Clarice follows and he assumes he's going to make, he assumes that she is going to make fun of his nose like all the others, but she's smarter and she's wiser than her years would seem to indicate. She says, it's a handsome nose. Much better than that silly false one you were wearing. Now, when you take off your mask, those people who are open and loving and apathetic can see your true beauty. And this is what the female doe sees. Because the female doe, Clarice, is expressing some of her feminine energy. Poor Rudolph, he says, it's terrible. It's different from everybody else's. And then Clarice says, but that's what makes it so grand. Any doe would consider herself lucky to be with you. Now, I have heard something like this before. From when I was 17 and broke up with the first girl I ever dated, I heard through her friends that she thought I was the nicest guy she ever met because I never once took advantage of her. Well, duh, because I'm gay and I didn't want to do anything down there. At the party that I was at with her, I was only thinking about the other boys that were on top of the other girls. (sighs) At this point, you have to wonder, is this all racist, homophobic, or just good old-fashioned prejudice? But after a lovely, heartwarming song from Clarice about the possibility of your dreams coming true tomorrow, her dad shows up and stomps all over the moment. No doe of mine will be seen with a red-nosed reindeer. Yeah, it's a question there. it's like homophobia fear of the other some kind of like metaphorically masked racism like we don't want to hang around the red-nosed rudolph is left alone again but not for long because out of nowhere he pops right up out of the snow is Hermie? like seriously he pops up out of the snow like a squirrel but maybe metaphorically like he's coming out of the closet that's the only thing i can see in this interpretation. I'm independent," he says to Rudolph. "Hey, what do you say we both be independent together? Together." And you have to wonder like, is this like is this like language for let's be gay together, let's be queer together? And definitely not assuming or presuming that Rudolph is gay, but queer, absolutely. And Rudolph asks, "You wouldn't mind my red nose?" To which Hermie says, "Not if you wouldn't mind me being a dentist." But Hermie actually pauses when he says that. He says, not if you wouldn't mind me being a dentist. And why the pause? It's the second time we have a pause in this narrative. What did he really want to say? It's kind of like as if, you know, you're with a bi guy who says, I'm only a top, and the gay guy says, well, if you don't mind that I'm versatile, we'll get along just fine. You know, (sighs) but this is about, Safety now at this point. When your safety is at risk, what do you do? You keep quiet. You hide in the closet. You don't disclose. Now the two misfits head out into this oncoming winter storm to flee Christmastown. And Hermie hears the abominable growling in the distance. But the two make it safely through the night, because we haven't quite reached the pinnacle of the drama yet. And the next day, they meet Yukon Cornelius, who is on the hunt for silver and gold. And our narrator, Sam the Snowman, says, So what do you think of our friend Cornelius? Now, what does Sam want us to notice? Cornelius is the one character I can't quite figure out. He's a ginger, he's bearded, he's hyper-masculine, but he's alone with his dog sled in the wilderness. He happens across two adolescent boys who he invites to come with him. Hmm, kind of sounds like a daddy to me. But then the Abominable shows up, right? We've been hearing him a couple of times now, and they're on the run. The Abominable has seen Rudolph's nose, and they have to find a way to escape before they get caught. They reach the water's edge, and there's nowhere left for them to go. But Ginger Daddy, Yukon Cornelius, outwits the Abominable basher by using his ass ass pick. (laughs) He uses his axe pick to create an ice flow, and the band of misfits floats away, foiling the monster who can't swim. Now we head back home to where Rudolph used to live and Donner is feeling remorse for how he treated his son, who's been missing two days now. Donner will not allow his wife to come with him on the search and he says, no, this is man's work. You know, it's this definitive, I'm not going to express feeling, but I'm going to take absolute control and authority for my actions, even though I'm not going to admit I was wrong. Thankfully, women are often much smarter than men, and they band together in times of crisis. And Clarice shows up after Donner is left, and the two women head out on their own. So now we touch on the topic of segregation. You see, this is an informative and highly teachable cartoon. I wish this were not called a cartoon, because it's so much more important than that, darling. So Rudolph, Hermie, and Cornelius make land at the Island of Misfit Toys. One of the most important teaching moments in this entire drama. They're greeted by the sentry, who's a jack-in-the-box. But wait! He's not what he appears to be. Now, Charlie pops out of his box. He pops out of his box, like breaks out of the box, breaks out of the closet... Oh, my God, the fucking metaphors. Charlie is a jack-in-the-box, but because his name is Charlie and not Jack, he's a misfit. And he sings, or no, sings? He says, my name is all wrong. No child wants to play with a Charlie in the box, said with a detectable gay intonation. So I had to come here to the island of misfit toys. And seriously, I'm not making this up. He really sounds queenie now we're entertained with another song riddled with so much more innuendo a jack-in-the-box waits for children to shout wake up don't you know it's time to come out when christmas day is here the most wonderful day of the year hmm funny but the day me and many of my friends like to come out is pride and it's affectionately referred to as gay christmas I wonder if they knew that way back then. So we're introduced to all of the misfit toys, the spotted elephant, the train with the square wheels, and there's even a water gun toy that shoots jelly, which he demonstrates by giving Hermie a facial. Remember, Hermie is like an oralist. He wants to be a dentist. You know, Rudolph, blesses orally inclined soul, licks Hermie's face clean of all that squirted jelly. Then we meet King Moonracer the king of the island searches the earth at night for misfits. You wonder, searches? Or is he actually cruising late at night? You know, that's what homosexuals used to do when they couldn't be quite out in public. And then he brings them back to his kingdom, his kingdom, his dungeon, the gay bar, I don't know, to live out their lives until somebody wants them. Oh, somebody wants them? Could be another man. Could be another lesbian. I don't know. Or just maybe they go home for a shag. But our merry band heads to the throne room for an audience with King Daddy, who likes rescuing misfits. He greets them by asking, in this sort of like echoing tone in this large chamber, what do you desire? I think you could put almost any sexual reference here. They ask the king, though, if they could live on the island, but he says no. Because the island is only for toys. And Cornelius sees the discrimination in this and says, How do you like that? Even amongst mit- misfits, you're misfits. But it's not all that bad for the good king because he has wisdom to share. And he says, A living creature cannot hide himself on an island. But perhaps, being misfits yourselves, you might help the toys here. So that's not what they were expecting, but suddenly they've been empowered with a mission to create change and bring hope to others, just like themselves. As the island and all of Rudolf's friends head off to sleep, Rudolph makes the choice to leave, to head out on his own, to protect his friends from danger. He feels that he has to move on and leave everyone behind and face the unknown on his own. And what we see as a maturing Rudolph, we don't know how much time passes at this moment, but suddenly he has firm antlers and muscular hind legs and a new understanding of his situation in life. He can't run away from his troubles any longer, and he decides to return home. Now, he's greeted with the same disrespect as old Neon knows by his peers. And he learns that his parents and Clarice are gone and they've been searching for him for months. And this is the classic point in storytelling of this dark night of the soul, facing what appears to be the insurmountable obstacle. And this is when this massive storm hits Christmas Town. It's so bad that Santa thinks he'll have to cancel Christmas altogether. And Rudolph realizes that he's going to have to go and face the abominable snow monster who's taken his family hostage. And this is the moment of the hero, right? Rudolph, made fun of and shamed by his father, still rushes out to save his family. And he does so with blinding courage. But in the fight, he's knocked unconscious. And it's just lucky for him that his friends have been searching for him since he left the island of misfit toys. They lure out the monster and knock him out cold. Now, Hermie, the aspiring dentist, extracts the monster's teeth when he's unconscious, rendering him completely harmless. Cornelius corners the monster when he wakes up and forces him to the cliff's edge, where they both fall off, apparently to their death. But remember, this is 1964... And a man just fell off a cliff and died, saving his friends in the process, and we're told by Sam the Snowman, they are all very sad at the loss of their friend. They realize that the best thing to do is to get the women back to Christmastown. Nothing like soothing over death and tragedy, tragedy by reinforcing heteronormativity in a children's Christmas cartoon. Everybody returns to Christmastown. And they all realize that they might have been a little bit hard on the misfits. Really? (laughs) Really? And I know this is what people are objecting to, the extreme bullying. You know, Rudolph was gone for months, cast out from society. His parents and his fag hag were captured by the abominable and almost eaten alive. Yes, that might have been a little hard. Sam, the narrator, says... Maybe misfits have a place too. Even Santa realized that maybe he was wrong. So why does it take a tragedy for people to come to their senses to recognize that we all deserve love and equal representation? It's probably part of human nature. When someone who you might not have agreed with, who you actually did care about, Takes off and tragedy befalls them, or you realize with them gone and time passes that you were horrible to them, we recognize our failings. So at the end of the story, Rudolph is finally accepted, not for simply being who he is, but because he is exceptional. His difference is his greatest strength and his asset. And that's what Santa realizes and why he knows he doesn't have to cancel Christmas. Because he can brave the storm thanks to Rudolph's neon honker. And the classic Rudolph. With your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And then one of my favorite lines. The impotent fatherly denial from Donner. I knew that nose would be useful some day. I knew it all along, even though Donris found it in his heart to somehow accept his son because he has a usefulness now, he won't own up to his errors and remember, people, it is nineteen sixty four so it wasn't really up to the man back then to admit he was wrong, just to live with the new reality, so it is too little, too late. From a 2018 perspective, trying to hide one's past injustices towards others, especially one's son, and it doesn't make him a better man, right? And I think this is the point that maybe some people find problematic. Is there a winner in this story? Is there an outcome that we can celebrate? Is there an important lesson that we can take? Well, on the one hand, we can say that the moral of this story really sucks. If you don't fit into the status quo, is your only chance of being accepted having something that other people need or want? No, the lesson of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a very interesting one. And it brings up perhaps many more questions about what we consider to be worth and worthwhile in others. And acceptance seems to be an issue of conformity. You know, unless you bring something unexpected and out of the ordinary that will benefit others, you might be cast out. So some might think that my entire queer interpretation of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is problematic in and of itself. But I love it. I absolutely love this cartoon, and I will stand behind it for what it has taught me, and even just re-reading what I wrote last year and thinking about it, It is a message to me. It is a hero's journey to me. And it is told in a time period. It is told within a social framework of particular masculine and feminine and family norms. It is told within the framework of a classic Christmas tale. If we go back 2,000 years or however longer and talk about how things were framed within the Iliad or the Odyssey and talk about you know war and violence and toxic masculinity in a way that's problematic from how we look at things now we would never read those texts either but what do we take from those classic stories that when we tell stories as human beings the classic act 1 act 2 act 3 where you are faced with the problem or the struggle. And then you go on the journey to figure it out. And then at the end, you come to some sort of a resolution or a solving of that problem or breaking free. In every story, there will be constructs that we may not understand or accept within the framework of our current reality. But we can still read between the lines understand the message and in the case of Rudolph it is about overcoming it is about believing in yourself it is about taking the risk to leave that which confines you to find out who you are and for Rudolph to live out the best of who he is.